to another debrief. It's been another long 9-10 episode haul since our previous debrief. And myself, Lorca Mullen, and my Let Me Tell You Something co-host... Simon Cross. ...have taken another brief departure on the... Inter- uh, uh, what's it? St- stopover on the long journey of the Meltzer 5 Star Trail to get back and... and, and reacquaint, reappraise what we've seen thus far. First thing that we do in these debriefs is that we make our revised top 10 lists and then our revised mutual top 5. Simon, do you have your top 10 list from the 70th match? I will. Two seconds. Okay, while Simon's looking for his, I will give you my top 10 from the 70th episode. Number 10 was... If Simon can rustle his paper any louder, that'd be really useful. Number 10 was Shawn Michaels against Razor Ramon in the ladder match that started a whole movement at WrestleMania 10. My number 9 match was a tag team encounter between Mitsuharu Masawa and his younger protege Junakiyama against the Holy Demon Army of Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe on the 6th of December 1996. At number 8, I had the second match in the infamous Ric Flair-Ricky Steamboat trilogy, although for our purposes it was a quadrilogy. This one was a Clash of the Champions 6, and it was fought under two out of three falls stipulations. At number 7, I had an all-Japan tag team match for the all-Asia tag titles, as Kenta Kabashi and his little buddy Tsuyoshi Kikuchi... Challenged the Gaijin team of Doug Furness and Dan Crawford. At number six, I had the second match in the three six-man tag matches between the Super Generation Army and Jumbo's Army. As Masawa, Kawada and Kabashi joined forces to take on Jumbo Saruza, Akira Tawe and the shithouse Masanobu Fushi. My boy! My number five on the list was Mitsuhara Masawa facing off against Kent Kabashi for the All Japan Triple Crown Championship on 31st of January 1998. My highest WWF match on the list came in at number 4, which was Bret Hart facing off against Stone Cold Steve Austin under submission rules with Ken Shamrock watching on at WrestleMania 13 in 1997. My number 3 match is the highest rated tag team encounter as the four pillars of All Japan, Mitsuhara Masara and Kenta Kabashi defended their All Japan World Tag Team titles against Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe on the 9th of June 1995. At number 2 I have... The Citizen Kane of US Wrestling, perhaps, in the final match in the Ric Flair-Ricky Steamboat 1989 series at WrestleWar 89 on the 7th of May, uh, being fought with three judges looking on, and it's one of the most uh, influential matches of all time. And my number one, it's been there for quite a while now. Will it be knocked off this time? We'll have to find out. It's 3rd of June 1994, it is Mitsuhara Masawa. It is Toshiaki Kawada. It is, at that point, what I have as the best five-star Dave Meltzer match of the series so far. Simon, 
Do you now have your revised top 10? Your top 10 from match 70? I do, yes. So, I have at number 10, uh, Mitsuharu Misawa. Mitsuharu Misawa. Get my teeth back in. And Kenta Kabashi taking on uh, Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Toei on the 24th of Jan, 1995. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, uh, not as high as you, at number nine, I have Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, at Mania 13. Uh, at number eight, I have uh, the Noah match for the GHC crown of Mitsuharu Misawa versus Kenta Kabashi. So that is the 1st of March, I've got 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have then got Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I have it down as number three, which is the one before Wrestle War. It's the it two Wrestle out of three falls match at the two out three. Champion Six in New Orleans. Clash of the Champions. My That's number the eight. Yes. Um, another shared match on both of our lists is next. It's Kenta Kabashi and Kikuchi taking on uh, Doug Furness and Dan Crawford. I then have uh, Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat number four which is the Wrestle War one with the judges. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> at number four... Uh, it's number two, isn't it? Yes, no, number two. Uh, I've got Mitsuharu Masawa and Kenta Kabashi taking on Atoshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe. This is the 12th of March Yet again, Every time you say it, every time you get the wrong date, it's the every 3rd time. of December. 3rd of December. Only nine months out. It's fine. It's fine. It's totally every... fine. Single time. <laughs> In at number three, I have the very same pairings going against each other on the 9th of June, 1995. Sixth of September. No, it is the 9th of June. No, I know that one's right. And it's my mutual. It's our mutual number three. Uh, I have at number two another shared one on the list. Lorcan has this at a lower position. I have it at number I, six at this point. He knows already. It is the second outing between Jumbo's army and Masawa's army. I'm not doing the edge. The participants, he's already done that. Although I will mention, once again, starring the shithouse, Masanobu Fushi. And my number one has been my number one for a long time. It has also been Lorcan's number one for a long time. It can only be, at this point, Mitsuhara Masawa versus Toshiaki Kawada. 3rd of June, 1994. Poetry in motion. And as you can tell, we had a fair few mutual uh, agreements on those lists, and we whittled that down to our definitive five. At number five, we have Bret Hart against Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13, the only WWF match to be featured on this list. Possibly ever, I think. Uh, Number four, we have the six-man tag match between Jumbo's Army and the Super Generation Army on the 2nd of April, 1991. Then we have Masao Kabashi against Kawada Tawe on the 9th of June, 95. Then it's Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat at WrestleWar 89, the final match in that epic series of matches. And then we have our mutual number one, Masawa Kawada, 3rd of June, 1994. So the, thought you were going to say WLC then. The first Meltzer six-star match as well. So, Simon, in the time in between that, we watched 11 matches, admittedly. So I'll give a quick rundown. Uh, the match we saw after that one was Yuji Nagata and Takeyuki Azuka against Toshiaki Kawada and Masanobu Fushi. 
on the 14th of December 2000. Then we were back in Noah after we got back into the right lineup, uh, having previously talked through the Misawa Kabashi match in the previous show. The previous list, it was Kent Kabashi defending his GHC championship against Junakiyama on the 1st of July 9th, uh, 2004 at the Tokyo Dome. Our first ever Ring of Honor match was then in the next outing, as it's the 16th of October 2004, and it was Samoa Joe and CM Punk wrestling the second of their trilogy of matches. We're still with Samoa Joe, it's a little Joe-a-thon, as the next match was on the... 11th of September 2005, the one sole five-star match to be provided by Total Nonstop Action, as Samoa Joe defended his X Division champion. Oh, no, sorry, Samoa Joe challenged for the X Division Championship that was being held by Christopher Daniels, but it was also AJ Styles involved in the only three-way slash triple threat match to have been given the full five stars from Dave Meltzer. The Samoa Joeathon ended. And we had our final Samoa Joe five-star match and also our final Kenta Kabashi five-star match as this unexpected dream match happened in Ring of Honor a mere three weeks after the previous Samoa Joe five-star match in Ring of Honor auspices on the 1st of October 2005. We had to wait another six months then for a five-star match to come from Ring of Honor but starring an entirely Dragon Gate uh, sextet as Shima, Masato Yoshino and Naruki Doi fought Dragon Kid, Genki Horiguchi, and Ryo Saito. Then we had to wait... Impossibly the fastest thing you've ever seen yes. on television. A lot faster than this list rundown has been. And then we had a five-year, three-month wait. Some kids will have gone to school in that period in between, from birth to entry. And we have the another WWE match, maybe the most historically significant match of this decade, as CM Punk challenged John Cena in the Doctor of Thugonomics only five-star match on this list for the WWE Championship at Money in the Bank 2011. Some people talk about that match occasionally. I don't know if you might have seen it yourself. (laughs) Uh, It comes up every now and again. It's our final Ring of Honor match on this list as Davey Richards fights Michael Elgin um, in the Best of the World show, I think it was called, for Richards' Ring of Honor World title. And then we went back to Japan... And the start of the run of five-star matches from New Japan begins with Hiroshi Tanahashi defending his IWGP heavyweight title against Minoru Suzuki on the 8th of October 2012. And then we rounded out this 20 with the first match of this rivalry to get the full five stars, but certainly not the last. It is New Japan. It is Hiroshi Tanahashi. He is defending his IWGP heavyweight title, but this time it is against the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada. So, Just to give you an idea, of those matches, of those 10 matches we covered from Nagata Izuka on, I have given five of those matches, six of those matches, five stars. So will that affect how the running goes for my list? You'll have to wait and find out. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't count mine, uh, but off the top of my head, I, I think I'm four or five. Five star matches out of the ten. It might even be more. I think you gave Kabashi Akiyama five stars, which I didn't. Well, he is handsome. I might be wrong. That's not the only reason. That's nothing we'll dispute, but let's leave that as it may. Simon, have there been many changes to your list? Have there been changes for a start? Well, that is for me to know and you guys to find out. It would save us a lot of time if there wasn't. Were there any? There, There were. Okay, I've got some changes as well. 
<laughs> so let's start off with our number 10s. Simon, your previous number 10 was Masao and Kabashi against Kawada and Tawe on the 24th of January 1995. Has that been knocked off his perch? Well, I, I kind of have just yeah, told you, you that it has. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, the match that is now occupying number 10 is Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13. So that would suggest you have only one new entry in your list. Spoilers. Well, no, it's basic maths. So, my number 10 is a new entry. It is Ring of Honor. It's for the world title. It's an hour long. It's Samoa Joe against CM Punk. Okay, yeah, yeah. Simon, what is your number nine? My number nine is Mitsuharu Misawa against Kenta Kabashi on the... 1st of June, March. no, first, not March, 1st of March, 2003 for the GHC. My number nine was my previous number eight. It's Ric Flair against Ricky Steamboat under two out of three falls rules. Ooh, On the in. 2nd of April, 1989, Clash of the Champions 6, the Raging Cajun. It's going to be weird. I think just want at some point soon... A Ric Flair, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat match is going to leave our list, and that's just going to feel weird. Mm. I've been there for so long. Um, at my number eight position, it's a new entrant. It's Hiroshi Tanahashi, and he's taking on the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada. Kazuchika Okada. Kazuchika Okada. Our previous episode. My number eight is also a new entry. It is... Hiroshi Tanahashi oh. defending his IWGP heavyweight title oh. against oh. Minoru Suzuki. Oh, uh, well, yeah, yeah. The 8th of why. October 2012. <laughs> so you've had. So let me ask you now, Simon, is your 7 to 1 the same? My 7 to 1 is indeed the same. My 7 to 1 is indeed the same as well. So let's quickly, just quickly run down from 7 to 1 what you have. Okay, uh, you've already heard it, so I'm just going to blast this. Uh, at number seven, it is Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Clash of the Champions 6. At number six, it is Kabashi and Kikuchi versus the Can-Am Express. At five, it is Flair Steamboat um, with the f- panel of three judges. Can't remember the name of the show, WrestleWar89. Yep. Ah, there we go. At number four, it's Mitsuhara Masawa and Kenta Kabashi in tag team action, taking on Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe on the 3rd of December. Yay! 1993. Uh, it's the same groupings taking on each other at number three, although this is two years later, 9th of June, 1995. Uh, I have, which was my... my a former number one, mm-hmm. um, you know, say say goodbye to my old lover kind of thing. Uh, Jumbo's Army versus Masao's Army, their second outing. Just, I love it, just love it, and it's got Fushi in it. So why can't, why shouldn't you love it? At number one, it is Big Dave Six Star. If we were doing it, probably I would give it more than five. Mitsuhara Misawa versus Toshiaki Kawada, 3rd June 1994. 
So my number seven is in Simon's top ten. It's Kabashi Kikuchi against Furnace and Crawford. Number six, Jumbo's Army against Super Generation Army, 2nd of April 1991. Number five, Masara against Kabashi on the 31st of January 98. Number four, Bret Hart, Steve Austin, submission match, WrestleMania 13 in 1997. Number three, Masara and Kabashi against Kawada and Tawe on the 9th of June 1995. Number two, Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, three ringside judges, WrestleBore 89. And number one, Masawa, Kawada, 3rd of June 1994. So on our list, so we haven't changed anything after number 8. We still have the same mutual 7, essentially. Uh, yes. Uh, and so does that mean that we need to change our mutual 5, or are we happy with what it is? The two I think, uh, ones we're missing are the Ric Flair-Ricky Steamboat 2 out of 3 falls match, and we are also missing out on... Do-do-do... Can-Am connection against Kabashi and Kikuchi, which we went with Bret Hart versus Steve Austin over, um, which I think is still fair. I think we want to, you know, keep it a broadish church. Because I don't, I don't think there needs to be any change to our mutual top five at this point. No, not really. So that was a relatively quick one to revise to go again. Our top five has not changed. Number five is still Bret Hart versus Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13. Number four, Jumbo's Army against the Super Generation Army, 2nd of April 1991. Number three, Masaru and Kabashi against Kawada and Tawe, 9th of June, 1995. Number two, Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, WrestleWar 89. And number one, Masawa Kawada, 3rd of June, 1994. So that is another definitive five and top ten list uh, done and dusted for another ten episodes. Now let's go on to another one of our regular features of this debrief as Simon and myself go through a match from the same sort of time period as those 10 matches that Dave Meltzer didn't give a five-star rating that maybe myself, maybe Simon, or maybe just the general public would disagree with him on that, or at the very least contest his decision. Bold of you to assume the general public watches wrestling. The general wrestling fan <laughs> public, I meant. Not within, like, Johnny Sixpack, you know. Or, Johnny Sixpack or Josephine Appletini I don't know but right <laughs> sexist now who's sexist yeah I, men I, can I, have Appletinis too I thought I'd finally work from that list of jokes you gave me ages ago oh you little <laughs> fuck box I knew you'd find a way um, it's fair to say we have a pretty large uh, range of options available to us this time Simon a uh, veritable August board. <laughs> covering as it does the first, what, 13 years of um, wrestling in the 21st century? century. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so we decided to give ourselves. Um, uh, not, no, no, to be fair, no, it wasn't. It was, it was, but it was a nine. It was a nine-year period we had to work with. Sorry. Um, just looking back at the list again, but it's. Uh, it's two matches we decided to go for, but it's a one-two punch. Uh, what are the two matches we've decided to discuss here for our alternative five stars? So, uh, we start with Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania 25, so known as the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania. That's not how anniversaries work. Ah, oh, it was like pulling the string on the back of a doll there. Mm. And part two is, uh, wait for it, Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania 26. The Streak versus The 25th anniversary of WrestleMania. And the 26th. <laughs> I, I just covered that. No, Simon. No, it, no you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, just get 
right in there, just jabbing around with your mind. Um. So yeah, I think I think when people say that Dave Meltzer is a man that has WWE anti WWE biases, I imagine the ratings that he gave these matches will probably be high on their list of arguments against him. I'm just going to try and find it right now, what ratings he gave both these matches. I'm going to assume it was like four and three quarters. Yes, it was. He gave uh, the WrestleMania 25 match four and three quarters. He only gave one other match four and three quarters that year. So it was his match of the year between that and uh, Brian Danielson against Naruki Doi for Dragon Gate USA. And then in 2010, uh, he gave... Three matches, four and three quarters. Again, one of them being The Undertaker against Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 26. Uh, the two that he, the other two matches he gave four and three quarters to were Naruki Doi, Masato Yoshino, and BB Hulk against Dragon Kid, Shima, and Gamma for Dragon Gate USA. Uh, actually, the day before that, during the you know the WrestleMania weekend, basically that it was the tradition at that point to do a six-man tag Dragon Gate match every WrestleMania. Actually, yeah, no, it doesn't matter. And the other one that, that he gave to uh, five, uh, four and three quarter stars to was Tyler Black defending the Ring of Honor World Championship against Davey Richards. Whatever happened we to saw, him? Well, we saw we saw what happened to him a couple of years later. <laughs> he had a match where I fell asleep briefly. Um, but <laughs> ever the professional. But so so it's not like he's not saying these weren't the best matches for the years they come out. Yeah, but you know. It, well, it sort of seeps into the whole... And it, was as, and it was as high a rating as he was giving for the five-year period, you know, as we yeah. were saying. There was, what, 1,000... During the 1,904 days that he wasn't giving any match five stars, this was as high as he was going. Yeah. Which is like, you know, maybe... It's a weird one, because obviously he's giving four and three quarters out. But... Which is, you know, as I've already said, maybe the most absurd rating yeah, yeah. of all ratings out there. Well, but I, I don't know. I, I, then again, Dave has a... If, if we ever get the chance, I would love to see what was stopping those just going over if the I edge. If I were to hazard a guess, a couple of times moves were slightly screwed up. Undertaker yeah, obviously uh, nearly killed himself, or, yes. or, or Jimmy <laughs> Snooker's son tried to go like father, like son, and kill someone. Um, <laughs> that now, now, I've watched that now. That's not Jimmy Snooker's I think fault. it's partly his fault. fault. He should have dropped that camera earlier and he should have been in a better position. It's not entirely his fault, but he has to take some of the blame for that. Yeah, I mean, there's He's nothing he can really... specifically to catch The Undertaker. Yeah, he can. there's nothing he could have done about The Undertaker's trajectory, though. That was all messed up. He could have taken a step forward, you know. Yeah, yeah, he could have, but, you know, still... It's, you know... It's a tough even, one. Even the Miz would have been like, you could have done a better job there catching him. Uh. <laughs> um, also, uh, there's a bit where Shawn Michaels does a DDT where The Undertaker visibly his head's about three feet away from the mats. Well, not three feet, but you know what I mean. A, yeah. a, a good 12 inches, I would say. Yeah. So, um, And then in the, in the WrestleMania 26 one, there's a couple of moves, I think, here and there that go slightly skew with. Depending on how you look at it, Shawn Michaels' moonsault, does it hit where it should hit or not, you know? But we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves as far as recapping the matches. But maybe that's where you go, just the nitpicks here and there. Yeah. But, um... Like we would ever do that. <laughs> um, but what we... I'm, I was just refraining from saying something too harsh there. I'll say, <laughs> it, 
I'll let, I'll let you make a rob for your own back at some points <laughs> there, Simon. Um, so these are these are matches that obviously, I think you can argue are very very influential as far as where the WWE main event style goes from here. Yes, where it's so many finishes, so many kickouts, so many big moves. It's it's in a way it's the uh, the WWEizing version of the Japanese finishes of multiple yeah. finishes and kickouts and big moves. And lying around and, you know, reversals of reversals and everything like that. And and also very much the shocked reaction at the kickouts. This is, uh, it's not Ground Zero for that. Uh, of course, Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker wrestled at each other in an event called Ground Zero once. But, because uh, The Undertaker had, had the Tombstone kicked out of in the WrestleMania 23 match against Batista. And the WrestleMania 24 match against Edge, I believe, as well. Yes. So it's already happened at this point, but I think, you know, kicking out of one or two switching musics, I think Shawn Michaels kicks out of... I know he kicks out of two tombstones in the 26 match. Yeah. Well, one of the half, because the first one's on the outs- first one is on the outside, and there is that long recovery thing, so... Yeah. Oh, sorry, one and three quarters, if we're being really pedantic. Um, so this is another stage of uh, the Undertaker's undefeated streak story through WrestleManias, I suppose, to the point where it's now maybe the biggest selling point. It's like a super championship. Yeah, like it's a bigger deal at this point to win the to beat the streak than it is to win any world title. I think. Yeah, well, it's a super bounty, and there can only be one. Yeah. It's not like you know there will be a third person to beat the streak. Yeah. Well, there might be, but <laughs> insofar as beating the Undertaker, but um, it's not the street. Then that's no, the point. No. Everyone wants to beat the guy. Because, that's the thing. Uh, also, uh, it should be pointed out again. I think we're just going to have to talk about both matches really uh, side by side to reach a comparison. Uh, <sighs> WrestleMania 26 is headlined by this match. It's the finish of the match. Is a match not for either the WWE Championship or the World Heavyweight Championship. This is the first time that's happened since WrestleMania 11, which, which saw Shawn Michaels actually get bumped from the main event in the world title slots uh, to make way for Lawrence Taylor against Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> what a weird juxtaposition. Yeah, the only other two examples are, are the celebrity-involved ma- main events. The other one, of course, being WrestleMania 1, where Hulk Hogan, the champ, is in the main event, but he's wrestling a tag team match with Mr. T against Rowdy Roddy Piper and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Yeah. Um, but subsequent to that, obviously the Undertaker faced Roman Reigns uh, at a WrestleMania recently. Uh, was that the other one to have given? Um... Ultimate Thrill Ride Thirty Three. That is yeah. the yes. Were you at that one? No, no, I was at Thirty Two. Okay. Um, so that I was... saw him beat Shane McMahon in Hell in a oh, Cell. Yes, like. of course, of course. That's the one I saw. Uh, I think that's the. And, and, I mean, it's not for the men's world title, but the recent WrestleMania headline by Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair is still a title match in theory, yes. a world title match just for the different division. Well, it was the ti- it was the it was the match for the hottest title going at that time. Yeah, but it's also like a match that could be treated if they if they wanted to, they could treat it with equal reverence. Um, as as you know, it could you could theoretically headline as many events with the women's world title as the men's world title if you're going to claim gender parity. Yeah. Well, no, no. I'm just saying at that at that specific moment, yeah. that's where the eyes were. Well, it's not work, so much so. that the title was the hottest thing, although it was attached to Ronda Rousey. It's it's that two of the three people involved were 
Well, definitely one of them was the, the hottest act. And they seem to be establishing it further, basically saying she's the number one in the company, it seems. Mm. Uh, especially with like the recent 2K20, even though she shares the cover with Roman Reigns. Yeah. The whole thing is that she is now... I mean, like there was a commercial relatively recently that they did of, of Hogan and Austin observing Lynch and saying, how about it? She's now the man. Basically saying, she's who we were. Yeah. Which is, you know, pretty amazing. And her interaction with some of the legends in um, in the 2K ad mm. sort of suggests that as well. This is also uh, also another example, uh, and we get to it, like I said, this is a new stage. This is a, very, this is a self-contained uh, quadrilogy of matches uh, of uh, the, the, the brace of Shawn Michaels' Undertaker matches, then followed by the Undertaker against Triple H matches. Yeah, culminating in the Hell in the Cell match at 28 with Shawn Michaels as the referee. Uh, end of an era that was billed as as well. Yeah, yeah. and so and that, that's again, it's like this this super this super legend status, legends that can work still, uh, but like starting to have more of a a, um, a broken up schedule throughout the rest of the year. Like, yeah, the Undertaker. I don't think Basie turns up between WrestleMania's 26 and 27 and 27 and 28, does he? Very much. Not often, no. I think, well, after 25, does he not come back until SummerSlam to feud with CM Punk? Yeah. Oh, is that the time where he kidnaps Teddy Long? I'm trying to remember. I can't remember. Wrestling's weird. But he wins the world title off of CM Punk in the Hell in the Cell. Yes, because they did then, then he loses screwed. it to Chris Jericho at Elimination Chamber to set yeah. up the Shawn Michaels match at 26. Yeah, because I think they did do a fake Montreal screw job thing during his feud with CM Punk around that time. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was another Because that's when The Undertaker supposedly tapped out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Um, so this is just really good story. This is always that case that when when WrestleMania comes around, suddenly the WWE remember how to tell good stories and build up matches and everything. Yeah, you know, like both of these matches were built up perfectly, really. More so the twenty six rematch because that had the emotional investment from the heavy work that was being done for the twenty five match. That, that's it. I was going to say like the table's already been set for twenty six, mm. uh, and twenty six. Because we've had a conversation before about which one we prefer, and we yeah. sit we sit on different sides of the fence. Yeah. Having rewatched them both uh, side by side, near enough, I think one of the reasons I'm more drawn to 26, and I didn't pick up on this the first time we had this conversation, mm. is there are more mini moments in 26 if you see what I mean, there's obviously the massive one being the, the build-up to the finish, um, but you've got the Tombstone pile driver on the outside, the Undertaker shocked face when the second Tombstone's kicked out of, um, Sean going for it all with the moonsault through the announce table. You know, you know what I mean? There's little bits that are designed to be on like a highlight reel or in clip shows for years to come. Yeah, but to Where me, that's... 25 what? just seems to be a smoother uh, flow of a wrestling match, if you see what I mean. So you're saying this is a generational thing. I like my stories, you like your whiz-bang special effects. Well, I'm saying there's 
twenty six is more is more whiz bang in. It's it, but it's still a good. Re- it's a very good wrestling. Match. It's wrestled at a faster pace as well. The, the yes. twenty five match is over thirty minutes, whereas. 26, I think, finishes in 24 minutes. Yeah, also. bell to bell. It's and they, and right. they probably pack in more big moves as well uh, yeah. in that time. I think another reason why I might rate the 25 match over the 26 match is my very my second notes I made in my notes for the WrestleMania 26 match. After my note of first non-title main event since 11, only third one ever, my second note was, oh, fuck, Matt Stryker. <laughs> yeah. Now, you basically, what you've done is, from 25 to 26, you've subbed out JR for Matt Stryker. There is no world in which that's a good idea. Win the round. Anything that, you know, any round that JR and Matt Stryker share, except for the times that JR's been in the ring, JR's got his number, basically. Um, I was saying... I think also with WrestleMania 25, I was saying my first note of it was actually in many ways this is WWE at its best. On a production level, on a scale, on a well-established characters over a very long period of time, having a cultural effect, if only within more within wrestling itself. Like The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels mean as much to wrestling fans as your Hulk Hogan's, your Stone Cold Steve Austin's, your your Rocks, you know? Like, you ask someone outside of wrestling to name wrestlers, they'll probably say Hulk Hogan, The Rock, John Cena, maybe Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I think wrestling fans who follow wrestling for years and years do love those guys, but they will also, depending on what generation you're in, they will also love Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, um... Rowdy Roddy Piper, Mr. Perfect, uh, Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, uh, more recently CM Punk, um, and maybe even Kofi Kingston, with that same level of affection and and personal reverence um, as those other main event guys have. Do you get where I'm coming from? Yeah. Like, if you um... ask the Mount Rushmore of people from wrestling to, you know, who brought it into the mainstream then you wouldn't put Shawn Michaels in. But if you had no. a Mount Rushmore for who are the best wrestlers of all time, and you're asking fans that watch wrestling for, for decades, guys like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart... I would hazard to say be that... in that list. Or will be in contention. But they yeah. couldn't be as far as all-time draws, but they could be as all-time great wrestlers. Yeah, um, Shawn would be in at least a quarter of those. I think I think he's in at least a quarter of wrestling fans' top four, maybe five, if I'm being cheeky, mm. uh, and just rounding out because five's just a nice list number. No, I'm trying to think of other examples, but it's like um, it's like it's like a, like you know you talk about hip hop artists, and to just people who don't follow hip hop, they might say Kanye West and Jay Z and Eminem and whatever. Yeah, they're but the you names on people. Though that love hip-hop, they will also say Eric B and Rakim, or they'll also say KRS-One, or they'll also say Public Enemy, you know? I got the last one. (laughs) God, thank you for exposing how unhip I am. (laughs) Or unhop you are as well. Hey! Uh, It's like in Premier League football, in terms of, I'm going to go to a round where I'm comfortable. Um... 
top four, you'd say people like Henri, uh, Ronaldo. Uh, people might say Mo Salah now. Um, but outside of top fours, you've still got... Outside of the pe- people names that people would reel off, you've still got people, people like... People watch football that would know them because they're on billboards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People like brands like Gareth Bale. Well, tried to you'd do say something it. like David Beckham. Or Beckham. Beckham's yeah. probably a better example because he was never... Like, David Beckham was maybe an 8 or a 9, as a footballer goes, yeah. at his peak. He was never a 10. But he was never um, someone who's maybe less uh, marketable in an easier way, like... Um... Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah, yeah, someone like that. Yeah, better. Ex- yeah, good example. I, I'm going to... That is my hill to like die on. Dennis Bergkamp is like criminally underrated. Like a non-football fan wouldn't necessarily know Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah. It's weird because I think Sergio Aguero will suffer the same fate. Mm. And we're sort of seeing that happen now, where we're seeing him play now. Mm. And he's incredible. But no one's talking about how incredible he is. He's, he is really incredible. I think he's someone you'll appreciate in hindsight. Like, well, I'm appreciating uh, like, him now. I'm, I'm pre-booking my hipsterness. Or like, uh, I knew him when oh, he was... Okay, another was... example. David Beckham against Paul Scholes. Yeah. Um, but let's get back to wrestling. Yeah, I was going to say, before you set me off on why Paul Scholes should never have played on the left for England, we'll um, be here for hours. Let's get... Another thing that's interesting is that, well, looking back at it, though, is that um, even though they're, like, two legends, all-timers, uh, guess how old they are at the point of WrestleMania 25? Oh, it's uh, Undertaker's still got proper ginger in his hair rather than like grey ginger, which is weird. As one of the things I noticed about his um, kick out, I'm tangenting slightly. Um, I can't remember. It, uh, yeah, I'm skipping a year ahead. I don't know how good his die job was at 25 compared to 26, but 26 sticks out as a bad one because there's that whole ginger side thing going on. And that always sticks with me. It takes me back to his like WCW days. How old do you think he is? How old at this point? Now, that was 2009, 25. Yes. Uh, I'm going to say 51. He was 44. Shit, the bad. I'm sure Michaels was 43. So they're both only a couple of years older than AJ Styles and John Cena are now. That is just proof that I have no idea about the concept of time anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually, that's an, an interesting point. Because if you look, if you went from WrestleMania 1 to WrestleMania 11, or if you went from, and then you went from WrestleMania 11 to WrestleMania 21, the difference in presentation, in production values, in filming styles, in the way that the wrestlers are costumed, in all, in the way that the video packages are put together, everything... You would see stark differences. Yeah. Especially like, yeah, 1 to 11 and then 11 to 21. It's like it's an entirely different kind of world. You feel at. the decade there. You feel the difference. Whereas you look at WrestleMania 25, outside of the wrestlers involved, you could drop all the roster now in that show and they wouldn't look visually out of place. Yeah. So at the uh, 25 is at the Arizona Cardinals' new ground, I think think or is that 26 one no, of the 25, two is 25s in um no 26 is in arizona that's the badger it's 25 Sorry. in texas 25 is in texas i think i, I can't it's not i think it's houston mm. which means it's either that or it's in georgia you know it's, it's always the same place isn't it because florida was 24 yeah 
Um, WrestleMania 25 was in uh, the Reliance Stadium, Houston, Texas. So ah, two yes. Texans as well wrestling yeah. in, out in Texas. They well, obviously they make reference to Sean uh, being from Texas in that match. I guess they had to wait for Death Valley. It's Death Valley in Nevada or Arizona. Uh, it's just a big desert, so it could be either of them. Yeah, they never put a state on it though, do they? Because no, you would, it would ruin the mystique. Yeah, yeah. Death Valley, Oregon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's like if the Undertaker gave out his postcode, it'd be like, oh, Death Valley, North Dakota. <laughs> Oh, it's in California. Okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> um. So, yeah, God, why do people build a cities in California? Anyway. <laughs> okay. Now we are really tangenting. <laughs> um. So. Yeah. Let's move to a place where we're guaranteed an earthquake every few years. <laughs> anyway. Um. Uh. So yeah. They're both youngish enough that they can still physically go without it being a problem. You know, you look at it, you see, yeah. you know, they're both doing these d- crazy dives. Um, they're both going at a pace still that they can keep up. You know, they don't, they're not half arsing it in the pace sense. They're maybe pacing themselves appropriately, especially in the first mm. match as opposed to the second match, which is a lot quicker uh, step. But they, they, know, they work within their limitations for the most part as well. Like, if you look at Shawn Michaels, he was an incredibly good athlete, but he never he never did springboards or anything like that. He, he, no. like he just, well, he does. Well, he it's... does, actually, to be fair. He does, like, an acai moonsault, but he doesn't even do it like a full rotation moonsault. Yeah. He does it as, like, a spinning crossbody. No, and sure, and I'm what's sure interesting about old, that... If 21-year-old Shawn Michaels was training now, he'd be doing all sorts of crazy springboard moves. But he, you know, he grew up at a time where that wasn't necessary. So he what's interesting really about the um, Asai moonsault is he the year before he'd already sort of built that up as a high risk, um, high reward move because mm. he missed that uh, when he took on Ric Flair. Yes, in that career threatening match. And if you want to go, that's what get Ric Flair the in to mm. sort of level the playing field against the clearly older Flair. I legit thought Shawn Michaels might have broken his ribs at that moment because he did land really awkwardly. Um, He's great at selling slash landing awkwardly. And also doing things to himself that could hurt him greatly. I Um, really don't like, especially after his back injury comeback when he does the turnbuckle stuff. That's really annoying. But um, Shawn Michaels, uh, yeah, he he works within his limitations very well. And like when he came back, he never was as high-flying as he was... Especially in like his ninety six prime years, yeah. he was doing hurricane runners and dives and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, well, his character was more established, yeah, yeah, in a sense because he'd been away for a while. He was like a special attraction, and because he'd done his back in doing crazy, unnecessary yeah. bumps, you know, he didn't need to. Although he obviously brought it back for Hulk Hogan. <laughs> now, well. That whole abortion of a match is... Uh, that's a sight to behold, that. Uh, Shawn Michaels is a Christian man. I don't think you would appreciate that um, yeah. description. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I just want to go back to just on the production front. I love the entrances for 25. For 26, they kind of scale it down a bit, actually. Um, but 25, Shawn Michaels gets like a... Um, what's well, it 25 um, is the dark versus the light, and yes. it's about Shawn... Ascending himself dis- as a as a god, descending like from figure. the heavens in white Undertaker garb, yeah. as opposed, and then Undertaker uh, rises from the death from hell in his yeah. all black. 
Um, but I also like as well is that they, they played up to a little bit of their past, although in other ways they didn't, um, by saying that Shawn Michaels had never lost to The Undertaker in a singles match, which he hadn't. They'd only... I, I looked up on Cage Match. Their only engagement after the 98 Royal Rumble, which was where Shawn Michaels injured his back and had to retire for four years. Yeah. Um, after that, they took part in a few dark match tag team matches on the same side. And then in the build-up to WrestleMania 23, they were on opposite sides of tag teams with uh, Shawn Mike, with John Cena and Batista. Yes, because um, Shawn and uh, Cena were tag champs at that point. And they had that super showdown at No Way Out, where yeah. it was yeah. the, the guys going against each other for the titles, tagging together, which was... Was the stipulation dynamic. that the winners got to fin- like main evented, or am I misremembering that? Like, like I got to be the last. Couldn't match honestly out. remember. It wouldn't be a bad uh, idea for a match to build well, up you... both world, both title matches. Yeah, but you know, you know, when you suggest something like that now, it's like, well, we'll do it every year then. Well, no. it's not the worst idea. It's all right. It, it, not every time though. Well, th- then they'll just say we, you know, you know WWE and how they'll change things. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. What was I going to say? Um, so, yeah, the, just the costuming as well and the extra production values, like I say, and the, and the video packages. And what they got really well was that Shawn Michaels has outplayed The Undertaker in the mind games. And yeah. you can see it from the start. Like, The Undertaker's angry and, and uh, frustrated right at the start of the 25 match because Shawn Michaels had been constantly getting one up on him in the build up to it, hadn't he? And like I said, yeah. points out, you haven't beaten me. So Undertaker had something to prove as well as Shawn Michaels. They had had one big engagement that was kind of like a, a precursor, a setup to it, when they went for about 10 minutes at the end of the 2007 Royal Rumble. Mm. They were the final two. And then they were the first two to enter in the 2008 Royal Rumble after that. So Which is a nice little call back. Michael Buffer was announcing them, and obviously he was just reading from cue cards, and he just announced Shawn Michaels as the heartbreak kid, but didn't bother saying Shawn Michaels. Like, that's his name, right? It's part of it. <laughs> what are you going to do to one of the Buffers, though? Not hire them. Mm. Yeah, and save yourself six figures of money. Yeah, well, you know, you're not going to correct him, are you? <laughs> you know what Vince is like, he's afraid of celebrities. <laughs> Um, what did you think of Shawn Michaels' inverted figure four leg lock he did in 25? That was a movie tried to get over around this time. Tried to get over. Look at me with a lingo. <laughs> it uh, didn't quite make that much sense, did it? No. Halfway between a sharpshooter and a figure four. It was actually not a million miles away from Yuji Nagata's Nagata lock. I think, didn't, uh, uh, I think, didn't they mention that Ric Flair had passed it to him? Yeah, that's just because they didn't get that it wasn't a figure four. Yeah. <laughs> that's weird things like that. And also that's another thing, because JR says, oh, Shawn Michaels beat The Undertaker at the Hell in a Cell, and maybe The Undertaker underestimated him, and he figured it out. No. no. Let's, let's just remember, the the one match that was a five-star match, like I said, it was probably the most one-sided shit-kicking I've ever seen get five stars. Whereas in this one, The Undertaker is selling for him more than he sells for pretty much anyone. The only person yeah. he probably sold for more were like Brock Lesnar... Uh, great Carly when Carly started out, and the giant Gonzalez when Gonzalez started out, and Roman Triple Reigns. H and Roman Reigns. But how much of that is him selling for Roman Reigns, and how much of that was him selling for Mother Time? A <laughs> uh, little column A, little column B, or is it Father Time? I don't know. Father Time, but oh, I like Mother Time. Bit different. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Hashtag me too. Yeah. 
how about intersex time? Um, <laughs> it's always intersex time when I'm around. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, I feel dirty. <laughs> oh. Ah. So, yeah, like you say, it's, uh, 25 is paced more consistently, I think. And it, um, it's like the first half is traditional match, and they're just not doing anything wrong. They're not doing anything too spectacular. They're doing what they do. Sean Michaels is trying to evade The Undertaker with quickness and frustrate him. Then when The Undertaker gets hold of him, he starts like raining down some big heavy blows, and Shawn Michaels has just got to try and withstand Survive. it. Yeah. Uh, whereas with WrestleMania 26, they kind of come out of the blocks sprinting and very early on the undertaker's hurting his knee and that becomes the focus of Shawn michaels like he tries to go over the quickness again but the undertaker is even faster to put a stop to that yeah but then he, he tweaks his own knee doing the old school or something like that doesn't he and... yeah he lands sort of awkwardly but weirdly awkwardly it's and, and then they really like set like play up to it straight away and uh what I like is because Sean had said into the build-up is I wrestled a perfect match at 25 and I make one mistake, mm. which adds to Sean's like... And I to uh, it's half what... desperation, half viciousness that he goes through in 26 where he, he's like a shark that smells blood and he, he just throws himself into that. Well, I, I was looking at I'm, I misremembered as well. I remembered Sean Michaels trying to get a count-out win at 26 but it was actually the 25 match that he did that after Sean yeah. the Undertaker landed on his head. Uh, and I thought that was maybe, you know... Obviously, everyone's desperate to w- break the streak anyway, but I thought 26 could have been the more obvious time for him to have been like that. Mm-hmm. But obviously, this time, it was the Undertaker who inflicted the, the really damaging move onto Shawn Michaels. Although Shawn Michaels had missed doing a... Was it a moonsault to the outside at WrestleMania 25? Uh, yes. Yeah. It's like a half moon salty thing, though. He does that weird, like, yeah. corkscrewy yeah. moon salty yeah. thing. Yeah. You can almost call it a scent on. That's how the announcer's called it. It's a corkscrewy yeah. moon salty thing. Uh, well, you've got to just pick a line there, really, haven't you? Yeah. When you're uh, announcing. I tell you what, the last ride looked awesome in these two matches. Uh, it was always sort of a callback move for The Undertaker that, again, he would just dust off from nowhere. But, again, it was one of those ones. Uh, as soon as it was no longer his finisher, it would never finish the match. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's the annoying bit with like setup moves or signatures, as they're known in the games. Well, yeah, the things that used to win it for them now don't even come close. At least not the first time they do it, especially in WrestleManias. Yeah. You know, when the Undertaker hits a tombstone from WrestleMania 25 onwards, really, mm. you're like, well, he's not going to win with this one. You know, after Shawn Michaels kicked out of it both times. I think the uh, Triple H kicked out of it at both WrestleManias. Yes. CM Punk kicked out of it at 29. Brock Lesnar kicked out of three at 30. Something like that. He might have done. Uh, that, how much is a blow until the end? Well, it was for The Undertaker as well. Yes. Um, 31, Bray Wyatt kicked out of the Tombstone. Oh. I don't know. I'm guessing Shane didn't kick Forgot out that was a thing. Um... Better not have. Don't ask questions you may not want the answer to. Roman definitely did. Yeah, Roman obviously did. Um, John Cena, I don't think did. He didn't kick. He didn't get anything. That was so weird. Oh, why did they do that? 
Well, that's another thing. Again, like I said, how at this point it becomes like a super championship. That's yeah. why I kind of wanted them to have whoever beat The Undertaker themselves be undefeated or the person... Like, because Brock Lesnar obviously broke it, so I thought, okay, if Roman Reigns beats him at 31, he breaks, he beats the man who beat the streak. Yeah. And he would have been on a streak himself at that point because he'd won the previous yes. two WrestleManias with The Shield and then he would have been 3-0. And they didn't have to have it go for 20-0 and 0 or something. But, like, if they'd have done it for, like, th- three more WrestleManias, so mm. he's on, like, 6-0, and 0, and they can say, wait a minute, he's on 6-0. and 0. And then have the guy who beats him. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I see I see the long So term. then it becomes, like like I said, a super WrestleMania championship within itself, almost. Edge got to, like, 6-0. and 0. Yeah, it was weird, but then he... Uh, they could have built that up really well, but then he, like... Was eliminated in money, from money the, money in the bank. No, it wasn't yeah. money, was it money in the bank? Yes, it was. Um, the one that Kennedy won, wasn't it? Yeah, um, and then they made him six and zero in singles competition for the Undertaker match. Yeah, but you can't, you can't willy nilly pick it, you know, pick and choose. Oh, they can. But you know what I and mean. Do. It would have, it would have had more you significance. <laughs> it yeah. would have had significance if they'd have done streak versus streak, but they had title versus streak with that, didn't they? Yeah, that was what it was happening. Like I said, there were, there, were, there were stages for the Undertaker streak. The first couple of ones, he's beating legends, beats Jimmy Snooker at seven, beats Jake Roberts at eight, then nine, eleven, twelve, thirteen. He's facing off against monsters, you know, King Kong Bundy, Giant Gonzalez. Swap them around, Diesel, Psycho Sid, Kane. Yeah, um, Big Boss Man, just big, big dudes, you know. Um. And then it becomes uh, a big show, an A-train. You know, that's kind of most... Triple H the first time. Yeah, yeah. And then it really, when it, when the Randy Orton f- was the one that really made it of, I'm going to beat the streak. Well, yeah, and it was also, that was like the king scalp for Orton because Orton was the legend. Well, I thought, yeah, at that point I thought I would have probably put money on Orton to win it because the streak wasn't so defined at that point it still felt eminently breakable and if you were going to give it yeah. to anyone you give it to the legend killer i yeah i'd like to see a timeline where they did that but what would they like you know i just i have such little faith in wwe in that decade that it would have it would have just messed up well, somehow you know this this amazing storyline this streak and like when it does get broken whatever you might think it's one of the true defining moments of a wrestling fan you know that is yeah. wrestling's version of the red wedding from game of thrones i i still remember seeing it live i remember seeing it and live. just the whole stunned silence across the pub it was just like John Stewart referenced it in the Daily Show, you yeah. know. I think it's another one of those things that like gets culturally brought up, like in the Twitters. Whenever a sporting team does go on a great run and then it gets broken, like the New England Patriots or something like that, or or Man City or whatever. Yeah. And then it gets broken. There's usually several tweets out there that get a lot of likes and a lot of retweets of Brock Lesnar breaking the streak against the Undertaker. You know. Yeah. And like I said, it's these matches that really helped build it up. Also built up the epic nature, but then maybe brought too much of it in to the point that we now get to... Like, I don't think if this match doesn't happen, I don't think you necessarily have NXT main events where people are kicking out of second rope, flipping pile drivers through tables. 
Uh, I don't know because we've talked about the indie influence on WWE but and I NXT think... is NXT is WWE's indie. But, I still think that would happen. But who are the creative forces behind NXT? Triple H and I think there's like one or two writers and Shawn Michaels as well. Exactly. True. So it's obvious that this is something that they like to do as well. They like the epic and they like the indulgence, mm. you know, and like they indulge guys like. Johnny Gargano, Although, and, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing necessarily, but sometimes, as we saw with like probably the most recent Adam Cole Johnny Gargano match, that was a there's there's a limit, yeah, and to, and like to a lot of people, maybe the Triple H short Undertaker match in particular became a more of a limit after this as well. Yeah, they you know, they had him, you know, they have the Undertaker kicking out of a sweet chin music and the pedigree into oh. a pedigree. Again, it was an amazing moment, though. But that's what yeah. that's, that's. Oh yeah, no, again, it's one of those like... things. Like at the time, again, watching that live, that was amazing. Mm. In hindsight, how stupid is that? Yeah, yeah. And that's when I watch. Um, like, if you can kick out of that, you can kick out of three F fives. You know, <laughs> um, it's like uh, WrestleMania twenty six as well. It, um, I did. I didn't like that the Undertaker doing a tombstone to Shawn Michaels on the outside is. It's not a transition move, but it's not... Like, within 30 seconds, Shawn Michaels is on his feet again. Mm. And I didn't like that. But it is that transition point to, okay, now we're going to do... And that was one of the big notes I made of WrestleMania 25's match. So much milking. Where it's it does become... One tries to hit a big move, the other one evades it, evades that, evades that. Hits the big move, they're both down and out. Then they get back up lather rinse repeat you know and sometimes they go for the pin and get the you know the long three count you know there's a lot a lot a lot and i'm not saying this is a criticism necessarily but there is a lot of lying around which you probably don't get as much now now that you know i don't recall gargano and cole again to go to like the 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 end of this run uh there being a lot of them lying around to be honest there was a bit but not during the match yeah that, that there was little bits but not to the same extent as there is here these guys are subscribing to less is more well they are and they aren't because there's in 25 in 25 they are 26 not so much how many tombstones does the undertaker hit in 25 let's have a look so i'm looking through the big moves i've made um so if we go from the big moves mrs moonsault to the outside undertaker nearly kills himself (laughs) um chokes so the first move then is undertaker to choke slam that gets a two. Goes for a tombstone. Shawn Michaels tries to. Shawn Michaels escapes. Goes for switching music. Undertaker avoids that. Tries to turn it into the the um, Hell's Gate. Shawn Michaels escapes that. Uh, no, don't. Yeah, Undertaker tries to go for a choke slam. Shawn Michaels hits switching music, so he gets two off of that. Uh, escapes the last ride, but then Undertaker hits it the second time. So we go and choke slam, switching music, last ride, uh, tombstone, because the Undertaker tries for the top rope elbow drop, again like trying to push themselves to do something different, but it doesn't work out. Shawn Michaels dodges that, then Shawn Michaels skins the cat. Undertaker catches him coming in, and that was a good finish because it's one of the you know it's just a surprise you know when it comes from yeah. you don't necessarily <clears throat> see it coming. Uh, Goes for another tombstone. Shawn Michaels hits him with the DDT with a head nowhere near the map. But it actually did look nasty, almost like a neck breaker or in a, in a way because of how the Undertaker was falling awkwardly. 
Then he hits the top rope elbow, sweet chin music again. Shawn Undertaker kicks out of that. So Undertaker kicks out of two sweet chin musics. Um... I don't think they were yeah. immediately covered though. Yeah, so Shawn Michaels hits. I think they were. I think. Music. I think on for the, at least the second one, there was a gap between him hitting it and him covering it. But they're hitting the big moves, you know. It's, they're hitting the big moves. It's not like but, it's not like like we saw recently with the Tanahashi Suzuki match, where everything's not wasted. The first finishing move that's hit wins the match, and that's the first uh, attempt at a pin in the match as well. And I, I preferred that match to this to either of these, you know. Hmm. So let's look at 26. So if we go from The Undertaker hitting the tombstone on the outside. Um, leg drop. Uh, forearm nip up. Uh, Undertaker was ready for it. Chokes up. There are nice callbacks to the previous match as well. Not not as deeply layered as like the Tanahashi Okada matches where you just got reference on top of reference or like uh, some of CM Punk John Cena's stuff or CM Punk stuff with Samoa Joe. Um but we've got, uh, yeah, so Undertaker catches Shawn Michaels with an attempt to at the crossbody, turns it into a tombstone on the outside. That gets a two. He attempts a last ride. Shawn Michaels turns it into an X Factor. Shawn Michaels goes for the elbow drop, but Undertaker hits him with the knees. Uh, Hell's Gate is turned into a cradle. Shawn Michaels hits Switch in Music, so they both hit one of their finishers each. Uh, Undertaker catches him when he tries again. Last ride, that gets a long two counts. Uh, sets up the table, hits um, a switch in music again on the outside to set him up for the uh, moonsault. So he hits three switch in musics in this match. Undertaker hits three tombstones as well, uh, winning with the third one, which he turns into the leaping uh, tombstone pile driver. Yeah, the super tombstone. In a way, it's it's a shame that that kind of came towards the end of his career because that could have been a great sort of a burning hammer only yeah. has to use it three or four times in his career but also i guess he couldn't you know you you know you'd think you'd need that for your biggest opponents but his biggest opponents you know he's barely lucky to do tombstones to them without trying to add a leaping element to it so yeah. i guess sure michaels is one of the few guys he can do a leaping tombstone to logistically and punk as well yeah in terms of weight Maybe Triple H, but that's probably as heavy as he could go doing it. But I, mm. I just can't imagine how fucked The Undertaker's knees are after 25, 30 years of doing that tombstone. Well, that and... Yeah, I, he, he sort of wrestled quicker the older he got as well, which is always a Until weird recently, way of doing it. Yeah, You know, he's, he's unfortunately outstayed his welcome. That's, that's the other sad element to it as well. That apron leg drop as well, that's the one that makes me think that they're... They're knackered. That's well, the one that makes think, the hips have to get done. I think I think he can maybe get away with that a bit if he like because he his his outgoing leg will hit the floor on the outside. So maybe he has that absorb some of the pressure. Yeah. So his ass doesn't hit the the canvas. Mm-hmm. But I've have never. To... I I remember once getting um dropped on my ass uh in in just in school once and the pain I was in. I was like, at that point, I think I knew I would never do wrestling, but I always thought if I did wrestling, I'd never do a leg drop or anything. Yeah. Anything that would ca- cause me to land on my ass. Because it's not just, you know, you can only really do that for laps anyway, but it also jams your spine up crazy. I mean, so, like, the more extreme like, version is Matt Hardy. What's Matt Hardy's legs going to be like? Well, I think it's more his hips. Like you say, it's like Hulk Hogan yeah. says how bad his hips and his spine are. And, like, he's shrunk and he puts a lot of it down to doing the leg drop for years. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we've been talking a lot about these two matches, and I don't want to go on for too much longer. Um, I still stick by what I said. I think 25 is a more complete match. I think 24 is a more of a fireworks display. And and like I said, it's kind of that sign of what's... Weirdly, a thing you can compare it actually to is the 97 Misawa Kawada match against the 94 one. Where mm-hmm. suddenly you're getting all the, you know, we're not getting head drops, but we're getting finisher spam. Yeah. And obviously then it becomes the Brock Lesnar versions of it as well, which is an even more obscenely cranked up version of that. But things, you know, one follows the other, follows the other. And I think this is a key, these two matches are a key point at creating what becomes, you know, Brock Lesnar matches, Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns matches. Yeah. I... Despite what I said earlier, uh, which uh, which was echoing the point you've just made about as a pure wrestling match, twenty five flows a lot better. My I will stick with twenty six being my personal preference because I one of the things that really makes me love wrestling storytelling is the second part of like a rematch kind of thing and how they do like little callbacks and how they play on little well, like, things. Yeah. Like Michaels goes for a cross face in 26 that you can't get in like he did in 25. Yeah. Also, I forgot, I just want to get it quickly. I love that in 25, uh, when he gets caught with the moonsault, it was, it's not like when someone does a move that they never do and, you mm. know, they get all, like Shawn Michaels did do that moonsault occasionally Maybe the best example of that was at WrestleMania 12 when he was wrestling hot Bret Hart and he did that moonsault. And, yeah. you know, it just helped that The Undertaker just caught him perfectly. And that's a, that's incredible strength and, and balance to do that. Yeah, it's and the core there. He's not heavy, but he's, you know, he's heavy enough. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, you're still taking like, a massive amount of weight flying at you. But yeah, like I said, it's crazy how much more The Undertaker's selling for Shawn Michaels. Like, they're, they're treated as equals in this match, and, like, The Undertaker is all mm. woozy and barely can stand by the end of it, both of those matches. Which, if you flip to, like... Whereas compared go, to Bad if Blood, you know. Yeah, Bad Blood, or if they'd gone against each other at a circa WrestleMania, like, 11 or 12 mark, yeah. Shawn would have been a main eventer, but Shawn would have been, like, a guy holding on against Undertaker yeah. most likely in the way they would have been presented yeah I mean the Undertaker was getting down to more was, was starting to do more realistic selling at that point and the Shawn Michaels matches were kind of his uh, you know part of his coming out party of like oh wait this guy's yeah uh, can have incredible matches if you don't put him in with 300 pound lumps of uncoordinated mess meat you know if you actually yeah. put them in with talented athletes who know how to tell a good a great story like a Shawn Michaels or a Bret Hart or a Steve Austin. Oh, he can have good matches. <laughs> oh, he can produce on the big stage. It's like how for the longest time uh, during Cena's early title runs, it was the opponent you had to put him with. And if you put him with like bad, not bad opponents, but less skilled opponents, that's where his flaws came about. Well, we've milked these two matches about as much as both of these guys have milked double down spots. Um, <laughs> I would personally give the 25 match five stars, and I wouldn't quite go that high for 26, but I'd go as high as you could go without going there for 26. I am going to say five stars for both. Mm-hmm. And as I've, yeah, I'm just going to highlight personally, 
26 for me, but that is based yeah, on my if personal. If someone preference. says 26 is a five star match, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have a problem with them saying that. I shouldn't have yeah. a problem. I shouldn't have a problem with what anyone says about any wrestling match because it's nothing to do with me. But you know, art is subjective after all. Yes, except when it comes to me. <laughs> but if you uh, let's move on from there, though, Simon. We we've talked about that match. Let's let's have a, a slightly shorter wrestling correspondence uh, question. So yeah, well, it's not correspondence as such because okay. this one doesn't come from the written medium. Okay. Uh, I was obviously yeah, I'm just giving one of my friends an update, explaining where we're at uh, in the series and explaining how we had this big time gap uh, throughout this. A block that we're going through currently and my friend sort of said it in a semi-crass way and i'm going to use the direct quote um but i'm going to expand it maybe to like sound less harsh basically well what was wrong with wrestling then and obviously as we've just said art is subjective and there wasn't necessarily anything wrong with it per se mm. but a big gap in a in in a in a timeline always ask the question what happened in that gap so broadly that that is what i'd like to get your input on well i think we talked about this quite a lot in the previous episode didn't we we did we did but do you think it was for what was the missing element because we've seen that there's four and three quarters you've got to ask more dave Meltzer, i think yeah. But I think it's just so much of wrestling was recalibrating itself at that point. And there was nowhere that wrestling felt truly important, I think, around that time. Like, culture-defining. Like, you, you look at it, how Dave Meltzer goes for, like, All Japan in the 90s, New Japan now, w- NXT now, um, you know, NWA in the 80s when Ric Flair's the champion. Okay, so let me. So let it's me like, it's like, this. I think it's also it's like its cultural significance might be at the back of Dave Meltzer's mind as well when he's doing some of these things, and the cultural significance as well. I think of the star ratings has become more important, and maybe mm. Dave Meltzer's thinking more about it, and maybe, maybe, maybe at the back of his mind, he's found out that if he gives things five stars, he gets a lot of publicity by every other ju- journalist that doesn't bother doing their own work and just copies what he says. That's that's okay. my mass conspiracy thing behind it, but um Okay. Uh let me butterfly effect this for you, you a little bit. No butterfly So effect. we hop over to uh the early noughties in Noah with uh John Akiyama having those matches. Um The trigger was never pulled on him as early as we've said it should have been. I don't know if it was, wasn't pulled on him. It's just there wasn't anyone around him to carry on the good work that had been done by the Four Pillars. He didn't yeah. have his, like you said, he didn't. Ha- if he was Masawa, he didn't have his Kabashi Akiyama. He didn't have his Kabashi, his Kawada, his Tawai, or even his own Akiyama. Uh, or Fushi. Or Fushi. Can't, can't, can't go so that well, much. Maybe Ogawa that. was like Fushi, I think. Mm. That was kind of his thing, that he was small and he cheated and was a bit of a shit. Yeah, because there were guys around at the time. Obviously, they were like, very talented guys, but like you say, it's just... Like, Autumn was... In, they stepped in shit, you know? They just yeah. couldn't believe their luck to have... It's like, it's like you know, somehow three of the greatest songwriters of all time all grew up around the same period of time in Liverpool. Yeah. You know, there's certain things that just are within the, the cultural zeitgeist... 
this is weird though because you had like Benoit um, around you had Angle around before his, the neck breaks caught up to him mm. uh, you had Eddie Guerrero uh, on the main and event they were all stage. having matches that were getting four and three quarter stars and, and four and a half stars mm. it's just but, weird but the culture of wrestling wasn't you know WWE's focus wasn't having great wrestling. Ring of Honor's was, but it was with wrestlers that maybe weren't quite as polished yet because there were no veterans around to teach them the ways they had to kind of teach themselves. Mm. Uh, what then? What what Dave could get his hands on? There weren't, you know, you know, he couldn't, he, you know, he didn't know what was going on in progress, or you know, there were no progresses in the UK producing your Zack Saber Juniors. There's basically this big massive gap post WCW and ECW where there's no experienced hands and like a generation of guys in the early 20s are having to work with each other to figure it out and they finally hit the magic formula when they're of a, a you know they're they mature yeah and, oh, and, no, and yeah. in the other promotions like wwe it wasn't a focus for them to have great matches like it was in in in, in nwa wcw as much so now, now you're not going to get it from there as much now see you Say it wasn't a focus of them to have great matches, and great I, matches I in the in the eyes of Dave Meltzer that would yeah. appeal to Dave Meltzer because we're again we're talking about someone who has his own personal proclivities that we may not even agree with. You know? Yeah, but it, it's just it it just baffles me somewhat that you had the talent in ring talent pool that you had at that time, and it just never produced anything. It's just. Even a stop clock is wrong twice a day, you know? Like they they do fifty two weeks a year. Didn't produce anything to whom? To him, maybe. Well, I know, that, that's just one person. I know that does but not one meet person the whole we're basing culture. this around. Yeah, but we're not but we're not but you're implying that, that is the you whole mentioned... but you're saying that that's implying that the whole of the wrestling industry has to answer to Dave Meltzer. No. Dave Meltzer doesn't think they have to answer to Dave Meltzer. Dave Meltzer thinks he can impart his wisdom about it on yeah. there. But it's just weird that we never had a gap this big, and now we do. So I feel it, it warrants attention. Well, like I said, there's no, there's no. Like I said, it's a, it's a. I think we're repeating ourselves from previous debriefs, or at least I'm repeating myself. But there were no cultural phenomenons during this period of time that were producing consistently these these crazy large, uh, great works that that were just right. And it, like you say, it's like. It's not like there weren't great matches going on, and even though there is a gap of 2006 to 2011, there are still five-star matches, but you just got fewer promotions being in the position to, you know, NWA's not out there anymore to, to give us loads of matches. Mm. New Japan's screwed because Antonio Inoki turned into a madman who got obsessed with MMA. You know, there are, there are certain things within, you know, Noah and All Japan splitting up means that not all the best, you know, you have half of the best talent in different places and they can't come together anymore. You know, it's that further fracturing of things that makes it harder for you to, you know... Yeah, yeah, and especially with the Noah-All Japan uh, split, that's a big factor, considering how much All Japan stuff... If if, if Kawada was around to work with Akiyama, and maybe if Kawada was around to help some of the youngsters come up, like Kenta and Naomichi Marafuji, maybe they'd be having the five-star matches earlier. Mm. But I think it's just a case of, like... You look at it and it's like, you look at the All Japan five-star matches that there were so many. There were still only like four people basically involved in all of them. Yeah. At fifth no. then when Nakayama comes along and then the rest are just kind of, a you know, and obviously there's Fushi and Saruta. But, you know. One of the things I, 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 that drew me to this gap and when I saw it was like, well, 
obviously I was thinking about what I was watching at the time and at the that that was during that period of time I was only watching WWE. And it wasn't that good. Just creatively it wasn't that good. And, and I, it wasn't and the, and the you know this was the time when Johnny Ace was in charge of um hiring people and the yeah. importance was not can they wrestle. The importance yeah. was how do they look in underpants. Yeah. Well I've not even Men I, I, for I, one I, reason women for another. Yeah, I'm not even talking necessarily in-ring specifically just yet. In terms of just the storylines weren't good. And maybe the way you get to the level where everything falls into place and makes it a five-star match is you get the crowd to buy into it and go wild. That wasn't there. There were were brief periods that were in the 80s and 90s that for Dave Meltzer were as big a deal as like punk in the seventies, you know, for music or the golden age of television in the early aughts where you just got this lucky moment. You know, it's a phrase, it's a horrible phrase to use, but a perfect storm of just people in the right place at the right time. You had that with, you know, Ric Flair in the eighties being able to pull out five star matches out of anyone. And the territories all started to sort of come together. So you're getting a super territory in Jim Crockett. Yeah. that puts an emphasis on wrestling to be a direct counterpoint to the WWF, uh, who don't put as much emphasis on quality wrestling. Uh, then, for reasons that WWF is required to go towards younger, more athletic, less inflated physiques, then the requirement is to have better wrestling. And that's when Dave Meltzer does start handing out a few five-star matches. Then you get the Attitude Era, which is a cultural thing, with not necessarily with the quality wrestling, but then... Guys like Triple H and, and Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle start getting into the main event scene. And if they're not necessarily getting five-star matches, they're getting four-and-a-half, four-and-three-quarter stars and having yeah. the best wrestling matches of that era, even though Dave Meltzer doesn't go the whole hog on them because he has his own personal proclivities that gear more towards sports presentation that Japanese wrestling provides. Like I said, the Joshi movements of the 80s and the 90s. And like it's, it's part of it's also you have to have a rabid crowd. Well, when wrestling's not getting that rabid crowd then you're not going to get a five-star match if it won't feel like a five-star match you know yeah which was the point i was making i I was i was making the point that creatively the environment wasn't there to create a rabid crowd because we would we were being subjected to michael cole versus jerry the king lawler at wrestlemania and that stuff like that and also just you're getting less stuff available to you whereas now you know one of the matches that we're going to cover eventually is a little european promotion that you know dave Meltzer saw on youtube or something yeah. And obviously, you know, he wouldn't have been able to get his hands on that, probably. It wouldn't have even been something that people would talk about. Mm. And um, at the time of recording, we've just come off of one of the most hyped matches I've heard anecdotally in quite some time. And that took place in an arena in Cardiff. Mm. That that wouldn't have, like, you know, necessarily been on the radar, especially not between those two individuals at this time, if the platform wasn't there for them. But they, yeah, but they're also lucky that they came at a time when more quality, you know, the, the, especially Tyler Bates is such a young wrestler that he's able to take these influences from the people that were having these five star matches, you know? Yeah. I'm just, we, we, these, the problem with a lot of these questions that we keep getting in are people are asking me and you to answer for Dave. And we can't answer for Dave. You no. can only ask Dave. And we can try and interpret his things. And, and as like I said, as you can interpret what he likes as epic length. WWE wasn't offering that, New Japan wasn't offering that, No was offering that, and those were matches he was giving 
four and three quarter stars and four and a half star matches too. Maybe because it didn't feel like it was the cultural epicenter and it wasn't doing anything that he hadn't seen before better mm. with guys like Kawada and Kabashi and Misawa and Saruta that were just doing it better than Marafuji and Kenta and Rikio and Morishima, you know, because it just becomes a copy of a copy after a while. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I honestly can't answer it fully, but um, I've stream of consciousness spoken for the past 10 minutes and now I'm tired and I want to get myself a biscuit. So <laughs> let's wrap this up. Okie doke. Ah, so for our next match, when we get past the debriefs, we are back in New Japan. We've just seen Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada wrestling out of the IWGP title. That's four and three quarters. No, but then the next match was them again. So that one did get five stars. Oh, shit. Sorry. You're never right. <laughs> Been a long day. And we're now covering a match with Still in New Japan, but two of the lower... Car- well, not lower car, but two of the uh, other wrestlers. And it's part of the G1 Climax. I think this might be the first... Is this the first G1 Climax match to get a five-star match? Five-star rating? I think it might be. It is. It is. And it is a personal favourite of one Jim Smallman. I think he ranks this as his second favourite match of all time. We have previously done his number one favourite match of all time with CM Punk against John Cena. And it is two men... Battering the shit out of each other. And it's Katsuyori Shibata taking on Tomohiro Ishii. I'm excited about this one. You like to wince at people hitting each other in a fake sport. A little bit. Why? Yeah, yeah. Well, look forward to. Simon, if people want to get in touch with you and talk to you in the stream of consciousness, emails about Dave Meltzer's mind, and you can occasionally interject with a yeah. What do you want to do? What, what can they do? People can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Uh, free for the numbers of yeah I uh, dispersed <laughs> throughout your stream of consciousness. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N for absolutely knackered. That's my email address if you put that gmail.com at the end of it. But otherwise you can look up that name on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd and you'll find me there. Um, buy my book, Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan. Uh, maybe soon coming in audiobook form. I will let you know as time goes on. But there's nothing left for me to say at this point except my name's Lorca Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us debrief you. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. <laughs>